So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're talking about the church, and last week uh, we were talking about the variety of spiritual gifts and the stability of God. And this week we want to talk, I want to talk to you about the diversity and wonder of the church. And uh, I just felt that the Holy Spirit wanted us to pause this week and just look at the church, just wonder at the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the description that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to read that passage to you, and then I'm not really going to comment on it that much today, because I'm going to share a whole load of other stuff with you, but this is where it's all based in. Okay, So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 12 to 31. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact... God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others and those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, no, no. But eagerly desire the best gifts. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would capture our hearts again today for the church. Lord, I pray you'd show us something of the awesome wonder of your body here on earth. I pray, Lord, that yet again 
you would stir us to see what you're doing in the earth today. Lord Jesus, I pray, encourage us and strengthen us. Build us up. Build up Jubilee Church as we talk about the church today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The body of Christ. I don't know, have you ever thought about how amazing the church is? Uh, the church is a truly amazing phenomenon. I mean, it's incredibly diverse. It runs through time. It runs through nations and it crosses all boundaries. So I just want to take a look at the church today and I'm going to share some facts and figures and thoughts with you. And I want it to encourage you and, and stimulate you as we talk about it because it's, it's not like any other organization or club. There is no comparison with the church. Being part of the church means that we're part of a community which, first of all, stretches across all time. I mean, it all began about 4,000 years ago, most people say, with a man called Abraham. And it was from Abraham's family that the whole nation of Israel arose. And it began here because Israel were the first community of people that God called together as a kind of prefiguring of the church. So most people say that's where the church started. But in fact, Noah had a family and God called him to one side. Adam had a family as well. And I think God has been secretly at this since the beginning of time, calling and gathering a people to himself. And, you know, we are all part of this. We are all part of this amazing call that's gone out from the beginning of time. We are part, as a church, of being um, what part of what God is doing throughout history. And Hebrews says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and they're all seeing and looking in and cheering us on in what God is doing today. And I, I don't know if that makes you feel a bit freaky about it, but I don't know quite how it works, actually. But the idea is is that this church stretches right the way through time, and they're all seeing and looking in and encouraging us in what we're doing. I mean, I think that's amazing that we are actually in the same church as uh, Abraham, the Apostle Paul and Peter, John Wesley, John, Bill Hybels today, you know, Bill Hybels, Billy Graham, the Queen and the Pope. I mean, just think about it. If, if, if people say to you, oh, who goes to your church then? You know how they want to know what celebrity goes to your church. Well, you just say, well, you know, the Queen, um, Bill Hybels, he's in our church. The Pope as well, he's in our church. It's just amazing, isn't it? If you think about it, we're part of this body that stretches through time. Stretches through time. And did you know that there are at least two billion Christians in the world today? Did you know that? Two billion. I mean, when you look around here today, you think, where are they all? <laughs> two billion Christians in the world today. That's about of a third of the world's population. A third of the world's population are Christians. How about that? And tens of thousands of people become Christians every single day. More than at any other time in history. Did you know that? 
More people are becoming Christians today than at any other time in history. Because despite what the media says, (laughs) the church is growing faster than ever before. I mean, take Africa, for example. Just over a hundred years ago, there were 10 million Christians in Africa. That sounds like a lot of people, doesn't it? 10 million people just in one country. That's quite a lot of people. But now there are reckoned to be in excess of 360 million people who are Christians in Africa. 360 million. And you know, now the Africans are sending missionaries to us. <laughs> you, you can get excited and say, wow, if you want, you know. I think that's amazing. 360, look. I can't even work out the statistics of that, the church growth statistic of that. I just cannot even work. 10 million to 360 million. It's a similar story in South America, China, in the East, all over the world. The church is growing faster than at any time in history. Faster. You know, even in our own country, churches are growing. Uh, we're... My good friend, Dave Stroud, leads a church in London, Christ Church London. It started with 100 people seven years ago. Do you know how many people are there now? At least 600 people in seven years have been added to that church. And it's not all transfer growth. Lots of people are getting saved at the moment. Hillsong's London has grown from 200 to 10,000 in the last 12 years. And they say that the church is depleting and it's losing its significance. Don't believe what the media says. The church is growing. And this doesn't take into account the growing number of African churches in our cities which have to cater for congregations of 10,000 people or more. Do you know, last year there was a prayer meeting of African churches in central London, which Dave Stroud went to. Do you know how many people were in that prayer meeting? An all-night prayer meeting that went on for three days. How many people? Do you want to guess? Now you're just being silly. 40,000 people. Isn't that wonderful? 40,000 people in the centre of our capital praying for our country. Do you know, Christianity is still the fastest-growing religion in the world. According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, the total growth of Christianity adds the equivalent of more than the population of Australia every year. Do you want to know what that figure is? 21,555,500 people are becoming Christians every single year at the moment. The church's influence is growing. (laughs) You'd expect it to. You know, church attendance is increasing at this point, even in traditional churches that haven't seen any kind of growth for many, many years. There's an article, I don't know if you saw this in the Daily Telegraph, in January this year. I mean, what a great thing to start the year with. 1st of January, it says this. It quoted a lady called Linda Barley. She was the head of research 
at the Archbishop's Council who said that attendance at Britain's 43 cathedrals rose by 7% last year with 15,800 adults and more than 3,000 children attending Sunday service. More than 1.7 million attended Church of England services in the average month. The article goes on to say that this figure could be larger, (laughs) but it's still enormous, far more than the number of people who attend football matches, often assumed to be Britain's favourite weekend activity. But church people tend not to be as newsworthy as footballers. End quote. Isn't that encouraging? Don't you think that's amazing? I mean, when they look at church growth and church attendance, we often grumble and say, well, they don't include the sort of more modern churches. They only look at the Church of England. But this is encouraging. 15,800 adults and more than 3,000 children in the Church of England. I mean, look at the church. Just look at the Church of Jesus Christ. Look at its size. Look at its reach. Look at its international, intergalactic profile. That's Jesus. That's what he's doing. He says, I will build my church and the gate of hell will not prevail. And we've only got to look around and we can see what he's doing at the moment. is amazing. Praise him. Praise him for his faithfulness. Lord Jesus, we honour you. We honour you for what you're doing and we applaud you, Lord Jesus. You are an amazing God. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless us in that too, in Jesus' name. (laughs) I just thought that would encourage you and stimulate you. Because, you know, when we stop and look at the church, you can't fail to wonder at it all. What's it like? I mean, how do you describe the church of Jesus Christ? Don't you just love the church? But how do you describe it? How do you encapsulate it? Well, Paul says it's, it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like the human body, really. He says it's that diverse. And he calls it the diversity and unity of Christ. The diversity and unity of Christ. Verse 12 says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And Paul uses this picture of the human body to illustrate both the unity and diversity of Christ. Such as its complexity, such as its mystery, it's the only thing he can kind of come up with to describe it. I mean, you might want to describe Google headquarters today to describe the church. Did you see that? It was on the, on the news. They've been into Google headquarters and, and they've looked at all of these, these computers. And all the influence and the size and, but look at the human body. It's the only thing Paul could come up with. The complexity of it. The diversity of it. Even today, the human body is an incredible mystery. You know, scientists still have not fathomed all of its mysteries or understood exactly how it works. Even with cameras and x-ray machines and computers, The human body is still quite baffling to us. We don't really know a lot more about it than Paul did. We can cure a few things, but we don't know why people get sick still. And yet it is just one body, but so much diversity. But then Paul says, so it is with Christ. One body, 
but all this diversity. He doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, so it is with Christ. This incredible diversity, so it is with Christ. And of course, he's talking about the church, but you see, the church is never separated from Christ. They are inextricably linked. It's just like, well, it's just like kind of the head is to the body. That's how inextricably linked the body and Christ are. And it says in Ephesians 1.22 that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body. He is the head of his own body. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? You don't want a headless body. And you can't get any more connected with that. He's the head who directs the body, but he's also the body. And you can't separate the head from the body and live. Am I right? You you can't. It just doesn't work. If you take the head off the body, it's one and the same thing. He's the head, but he's also the body. You don't say, there's my head and this is my body. And you don't treat them as separate. And Jesus, it's exactly the same. He says, the church is like this. He's the head, but he's also the body. And there's this incredible variety. It's like dolly mixtures, as we're hearing. But that is not a big enough diversity for us with the body of Christ. It is so varied and so diverse. You see, he's no longer the body physically here on earth. Jesus isn't any longer physically here on earth. We are. Jesus' body isn't here anymore. We are. In the visible world, we and the rest of the body is what the world see of Christ. That's a scary thought, isn't it? We are his physicality here on earth, if that's a word. When the church goes somewhere, Christ goes somewhere. We are the physical manifestation of God in the world. There's a, I've got to quote a theologian here, haven't I? This, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's something like Bitlenger. Bitlenger. Theologian Bitlenger comments, In order to accomplish his work on earth, Jesus had a body made of flesh and blood. Yeah? In order to accomplish his work today, Jesus has a body that consists of living human beings. (laughs) See, Jesus laid down his body. He laid down his life for the many bodies that represents the universal church. And this includes each one of us that are Christians today. And he's the head of that body. It's like his thoughts and intentions direct the body, and he is, as the head, responsible for it. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that he is responsible for the church? You know, we can complain about things, can't we? We can see some things that are not right. But he is responsible. As a leader of the church, I'm so glad that he is responsible for the church. It's wonderful. He's responsible for it. Don't you just love the church? It's his body. It's a picture of incredible diversity, but inextricable unity. Each one of us, along with every tribe, tongue and nation, and perhaps even every denomination, 
every tribe, tongue and nation and denomination. I know it's not in the Bible, but let me just talk about this. Are are denominations a further picture of diversity or division? What do you think? Is it a picture of diversity or division? Let's look at it for a minute because you can't look at the church and not think about denominations. I mean, they're very much part of the church today, aren't they? Uh, denominations, they're, they're a fairly recent thing. I, I didn't realize how recent they were. I've done a bit of reading, a lot of reading, uh, recently about church history. And there were no denominations before the 19th century. Did you know that? Did you know that there were no denominations? Did, I mean, I was amazed at that. You guys know too much. But by 1900, there were 2,000 denominations. 2,000. Zero to 2,000 in five minutes. 2,000 denominations. Well, by the year 2000, how many do you think? Tom, what do you think? (laughs) How many denominations do you think there were by the year 2000? 34,000 denominations by the year 2000. A million is closer than, yeah. And also, there are 34,000, right? But there are also a whole load of non-denominational denominations too. (laughs) So how many are there? I don't know. We lost count. But is this diversity or could it be division that we're seeing? Or is it division or diversity? I've recently been reading an interesting book called uh, Britain's Spiritual Heritage and I put the details up on the screen for you because it is an interesting book to read. don't agree with all the theology, but there's a lot of interesting facts in there. And the lady who writes the book is called Diana Chapman and she said this, It's easy to write off denominations as divisive, but when you explore their beginnings, you find that many were born in revival or centered around a newly discovered truth. So Martin Luther, who sparked the Reformation in 1517, he he did that around the revelation of the just shall live by faith and not by works. In the 17th century, George Fox, who founded the Quakers, emphasized experiential Christianity, and his followers moved in spiritual gifts. And we thought the charismatic renewal took place in the 60s. (laughs) George Fox and his guys were doing it in the 17th century. John Wesley similarly rediscovered the truth of salvation by faith through grace alone, and this led to world evangelization. William Booth, one of my personal favorites, discovered the fire of God (laughs) and the poor and evangelism. He says, I've got to make a difference. Read William Booth, it's so stimulating. You see, I don't think that denominations are the problem. I think that the varying styles and the presentations of Jesus can even be helpful and may well be a further example of the diversity of Christ. It's the loss of the spirit in some of those denominations that's the problem. And in the power of those distinctive founding truths. And you know, guys, that can happen to any of us. That can happen to any of us. 
Uh, we had John Hosier here, didn't we, just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what you made of him. I mean, he's just been around since the beginning of the charismatic renewal. And we had him round for the evening. A few of us just gathered around him, and we, we just fired questions at him and asked him about those early days. It was so exciting to hear about the foundation of our own movement of churches. And he said this interesting thing. He said, the emphasis that led to the start of our own churches was nothing to do with contemporary worship or a more relaxed style of dress, which so many people, he said, seem to have made it. He said, actually, the emphasis was on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he said, it really concerns me that that is being lost and spiritual gifts and all that kind of stuff. I thought I felt all happy because I thought, well, we're just about to do spiritual gifts. But it can happen to any of us. That initial launching out of the Holy Spirit, that revival, that move of God, those important first days can be lost when we lose the impetus of the Holy Spirit. We can't afford to lose the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us of this in, in this chapter that we've read. He says in verse 13, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And I'm not going to go into all that now, but in, 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 in short, we were all made part of the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit He put us in there, and simultaneously we were all given one Holy Spirit to drink. We were immersed by the Holy Spirit, and we are kept by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us life, just like it did when we were first saved, gives us life, and in the same way that drinking water keeps our bodies alive. We need to keep drinking of the Holy Spirit. We need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's good to just stop for a moment today in our worship and say, let's have the rain come. It's just another picture of drinking of the Holy Spirit. Don't despise these things. It's what gives us life. It's what gives us impetus and power to be full of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, have you drunk of the Spirit today? Are you drinking of the Spirit in your walk with the Lord? Are you drinking of him regularly? Because if you don't drink, you'll die. Just like in your own body. If you don't drink water every day, you'll die very quickly. Spiritually, it's the same thing. Are we full of the Spirit and therefore able to use the gifts of the Spirit? See, the the spiritual gifts come from the Spirit. They don't just come out of the air. They don't just come out of our own imaginations. They come from being full of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons why people don't move in the gifts of the Spirit is because they're not full of the Spirit. Amen? Have you found that? I've got nothing to give, got nothing to offer. It's because I'm not full of the Spirit. I've lost it somehow. I need to drink. I need to come back. We need to be full of the Spirit. We drink because... We love the body, too. We want the church to succeed. We love the body of Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to wrap things up and just ask you a few questions. I just want to take you, wanted to take you on this big tour of the church. 
just see its magnificence and see what Jesus is doing today. I could have talked a lot more, but I just felt like I wanted to to leave that with you to think about. But let me ask you some questions. How do you view the church? Let me ask you, after everything I've said today, what is your opinion of the church? How do you view it? What's your commitment to it? How important do you think the church is today? Do you see and appreciate its beauty, its diversity, its presence as the living physical body of Christ on the earth? Think about that. When you look around here today, do you think to yourself, I love these people. I love these people and I wish God would empower me in some way to encourage them and to build them up. Because I love them. How much do you care? How much do you care about the church? You know, the Holy Spirit has given each one of us a supernatural ability to serve the people around you, spiritual gifts to build them up. If God cares enough about his church to give you this spirit-empowered ability, shouldn't you care enough about the church to use that gift for the same purpose? You see, it's not enough just to be made a part of the body. We also have to function in the body. It's not, it's not enough just to be made a part of it. That, Great, I'm in. Whew. We've also got a function. If each part does not play its role, if each part does not function, do you know what happens? It dies. You die. <laughs> it dies. To be a part of a body and to do nothing is to be dead. The Apostle Paul desperately wanted to go to heaven, but he was torn because he loved the church so much. His love for the church was the only thing that kept him tied to life on earth. He wrote this, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. Do you love the church? Do you love Christ? They're the same thing. They are inextricably connected to one another. Many say, I love God, but I hate the church. Have you heard people say that? It's a contradiction in terms, because Christ has so identified himself with the church that he laid down his life for it, giving up his physical body so that many physical bodies across time, cultures, and ages can manifest his presence physically here on earth. There are many people who want to use spiritual gifts. Some out of ambition and the implores of men, that's what was going on in Corinth, and that's where it went wrong. Some out of a desire for power, Simon the sorcerer tried that one. 
But there is only one motivation to earnestly desire spiritual gifts that Paul talks about at the end of chapter 12. It's not ambition. It's not self-promotion or glorification. Neither is it out of a desire for power or influence, but out of love for Christ and out of love for the church. Do you know, I really love the church. That's why I want spiritual gifts. That's why I preach. That's why I talk to people and spend time with people. Right from an early age, God has given me such a love for the church. And I really love this church. I do. (laughs) I'm going to get mushy in a minute. Do you know, I really love to see what God is doing here. I love to catch up with people and say, what is God doing in your life at the moment? How's it going? I love to hear of, I had this dream and God spoke to me. God spoke to me about this. Or, do you know, my life has changed. I have the privilege of hearing a lot of these things about what God is doing amongst us. I love the church. That's why I want spiritual gifts. For me, for you, for one another. I want the church to be built up. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to close. I'm going to pray. And uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to pray about because I've actually written it down because I think it's important to tell you what I'm going to pray about so you can respond to it. I want to first of all ask God to give you a heart for the church. Now, some people have got disillusioned in the past because, do you know, isn't it funny? Jesus knew this. His best friend was the one that hurt him the most, Judas. He betrayed him. It's, it's, it's the same for us. So often, it's at church we get hurt the most. Isn't that weird? Well, some people have got disillusioned and cynical about the church. And do you know, if you look around the church for long enough, you can find problems. Oh, I'm so glad it's your responsibility, Lord. It's his church. I want to pray for you for a love for the church in all its diversity. I want us to appreciate the church much more broadly than just my church. To have a love for the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know, I, I heard one of the most astounding preachers this week, and I can't remember the chap's name, <laughs> but he is the preacher to the Pope. He preaches to the papal household, and he preached the most amazing sermon on the gifts of the Spirit I have ever heard. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you know how he got... Oh, I've got to tell you this. Do you know how he got filled with the Spirit? Reading Luther. <laughs> it's fantastic. Love it. To love the church in all its diversity. It might not be your cup of tea, some of it, all right? But we still love the church of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you if, you're thir- if you are dry and you need a drink, and you feel like you're on the verge of expiring. (laughs) You've not been functioning. 
I believe God wants to give some people a drink today. Drink deeply of him. We started doing it at the end of the worship. We're going to finish on that. It's not enough just to be made a part of the body. We also have to function in the body, otherwise we're dead. So let's pray then. And I've just told you what I'm going to pray about. So if that fits with you, I didn't put it up. But if those things fit with you, just stand up and I'll pray for you. And then maybe you want to come forward as well. Some of you might want uh, more prayer. That's absolutely fine. We're just going to pray over us, first of all. And then if you would like me to pray for you, I'd be very happy. If you're thirsty and you need a touch from the Holy Spirit this morning. Yeah, and this afternoon too. We live in the eternal here, you know. (laughs) Some people are so picky. (laughs) Let's stand, shall we? Stand with me. I'm standing too, guys. Now I've forgotten what I was going to pray about. Okay. So, Lord, we ask you together... You have full permission to say amen and make noise when I pray, okay? I ask you, God, to give us a heart for your church. Lord, give us a heart for your church. We want to repent of talking, thinking, acting negatively towards the church of Jesus Christ, where we've done so, where we've criticized, Lord, where we've got disillusioned, even, Lord, where we've got hurt and that's somehow justified us in what we felt and said. We repent of it, Lord, and we say, Lord Jesus, give us such a love for your church today. And, Lord, we ask you to give us such a love for your church in all its diversity. Lord, we don't want to be prejudiced against others. We don't want to look down our nose on others because we think we've got more truth or more this or more that. Lord, Father, we humble ourselves before you. And Lord Jesus, we we pray that your church would just extend rapidly. We're so excited to hear about the Church of England having so many people coming to the services. We pray for an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. We pray for a move of the Spirit in our capital, Lord Jesus. We thank you for all these African churches and, and their passion to pray, Lord, in a way that we can't even begin to imagine, actually. We want to thank you for the anointing that they have to pray for our nation, Lord, what a privilege. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. And Lord Jesus, we also pray that you'd help us to play our part. Lord, out of this love for the church, we want to earnestly desire the best gifts, those that build up the church. It's not enough, as we've been saying, to be a, just a part of the body. We want to function in the body, Lord. And where we've stopped functioning, where we've died a bit, where we have stopped drinking, Lord Jesus, forgive us. And Lord, would you give us a drink right now? We ask you for the Holy Spirit. We want to drink deeply of you today. In Jesus' name.